0: Good day and welcome once again to our Bible study. I hope everyone had a wonderful and blessed week. We're going to start a new chapter this week. We're going to be in the Gospel of John, starting chapter six. What you're going to see in today's lesson is the feeding of the five thousand, and this is one of the greatest miracles recording in the Gospels—Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So we're going to dwell, we're going to dwell into this today. And, and we're going to see what the meaning behind the feeding of the 5,000 represents. So with that being said, open up your Bibles to John chapter 6. And we're going to be covering verses 1 through 15. And the title of today's lesson is that Jesus feeds the 5,000. Starting in verse 1. Verse 1 says this, that sometime after this, now I'm reading out the NIV Bible. For those of you that's just tuning in. Every week that's that's the Bible I read out of. Is the NIV. So sometime after this. Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of the Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him. Because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up a mountainside. And he sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. And when Jesus looked up and he saw the great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And he asked, This only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, And it would take more than a half year's wages, 200 denarius, to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. And another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. And he said, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in the place. And they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. And Jesus then took the loaves, he gave thanks, and he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and they filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves Left over by those who had eaten. And after the people saw the sign that Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. And Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So let's go back up to verse one. And we see in verse one, The scripture tells us right here that sometime after Jesus crossed to the far shore, and notice what the Bible says here. It says, to the Sea of Galilee. Then in your Bibles, it says in parentheses, that is the Sea of Tiberias. Now, what is the Sea of Galilee? This is known, according to the Jews, according to the Hebrews, as a place of revelation. So if the Sea of Galilee is the place of revelation, you might ask, why is there in parentheses the Sea of Tiberias, right? See, the Sea of Tiberius is a Gentile term. In other words, it was given this name by the Roman Empire to this body of water. So the, the Romans called it the Sea of Tiberias, the Gentiles. Now, Rome meaning the world. That's what it means here. That's the message that Jesus wants us to see here. See, there's a change. Because Jesus right now is not just talking about the leadership of Israel. He's not just talking to the leadership of Israel. But he's trying to reveal something that John the Baptist stated when Jesus first came onto the scene. If you remember, when John was baptizing people at the River Jordan, he looked up. And he saw Jesus coming and he tells the people that he was baptizing. He says, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. See, in John chapter 3, we see that the Son of God was sent into the world. So that the world might be saved. So in John's gospel, although there's an emphasis upon the nation of Israel. Right here, John is telling us, right, that Jesus was sent. Why? To save the world, so that the world can have a chance to be redeemed, so that the world can have a chance at salvation at that eternal kingdom of heaven. Amen. So John's salvation is is a very broad salvation. You see, Jesus was sent, not just for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It's not what the scripture is telling us here, but Jesus was sent. So that the whole world might have a chance to be saved, might have a chance to be redeemed. Verse 2, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. Now, when you look at healing the sick, this sends a very important message to us. At least it should, right? See, because when we hear about healing, what should come to our mind? The first thing that should come to our mind is the word restoration. So we can say that restoration is for the entire world here, right? But that will come not until Israel gets right with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Verse three, then Jesus went up a mountainside and he sat down with his disciples. So we see here that Jesus, he goes up a mountainside, he sits down and he begins to do like he always does with his disciples. He begins to teach. He begins to preach about the kingdom of heaven. So the scripture is telling us here that there's going to be revelation here. Here in John chapter 6. And that revelation is not just for the nation of Israel. It's not for the religious leaders. But it's for the whole world. It's for the Gentiles and the Jews. Verse 4. The Jewish Passover festival was near now this is the third time that we see a festival being mentioned in the scriptures we saw it in john chapter 2 we saw it again in john chapter 5 and we've seen it right now in john chapter 6 so the scripture tells us that it's not quite passover yet but the passover festival was near now let me ask you a question whenever you hear the word passover what's the first thing that should come to your mind the first thing that should come to your mind is the word redemption. Why is that? Because Passover is also known as the festival of redemption. Amen? So what we find is this. Not just the redemption of Israel. That's what Jesus is trying to tell us here. Not just for the Sea of Galilee, right? But also for the Sea of Tiberias. What does that mean for the whole world? So it gives us a broader context to interpret this passage. And it also gives us a broader context that he's talking about the entire world here. See, we aren't just speaking of the salvation of the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. But instead, he's saying, I'm speaking of salvation here, and I was sent by my Father for salvation of the entire world. Now, Jesus wants to use Israel, right? In order for the world to be saved, or might be saved, should I say, because we know not everybody in this world is going to be saved. If you look at what Jesus taught in the Gospel of Matthew, he said there's two rows, there's a broad and a and a a narrow, right? And he says "When well, that broad, is going to be, it's, it's a wide open road with a wide open gate, and many's going to be on that road, but that road leads to destruction, he says. But very few, he says, will be on that narrow road that leads to that narrow gate that leads to the eternal kingdom of heaven, right? So he's coming so that the world might have a chance to be saved here, verse five. When Jesus looked up and he saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? So let's go back up to that first text in verse 5 where it says this. When Jesus looked up and he saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip. Now you might ask why Philip. Well, let me give you a little background here. Philip lived in a town named Bethsaida. And it was a town which was about 9 to 10 miles away from where he was teaching at this point. You see, Jesus was testing Philip in order to strengthen his faith, right? And and, and that's what Jesus does to us. When we have trials and tribulations in our lives, right, he tests us. He put us through that test because he wants us to, to strengthen in him by faith. Because it is by faith, by the grace of God, that you shall be saved, amen? So you see, Jesus was just testing him. And he was testing him. Because he wanted him to be stronger in his faith, just like he does for each and every one of us, right? You see, by asking for a human solution, and Jesus knew there was no human solution for this, right? But Jesus was highlighting the miracle that he was about to do. That's what Jesus was doing. You see, there's going to be revelation that's going to be taking place. And when Jesus looks up and he sees this great crowd coming toward him, right? Then what, what, what does he do? Well, right away, his thought process turns to the nation of Israel. Why? Because of this great crowd, right? Because there was both Jew and Gentile. There was, in other words, there was humanity that we can say in this crowd. So you see, the kingdom cannot be established until Israel gets right with God by accepting his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, as Lord and Savior, as the, as the Messiah. The Mashiach, amen. So look what he says. He tells Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? So we see right here that he's asking Philip a question. Now remember, he's testing Philip here because he, he wants to see the response from Philip. And, he's, and and Jesus already knew what he was fixing to do. But he wants Philip's faith to be strengthened here, right? So, so he asks Philip a question. What does he ask? Look at verse 6. He asked this only to test them. For he already knew that what he had in mind, what he was going to do. So when the scripture says he asked this only to test them, why? Remember, it's the festival or the feast of Passover. It's near, the scripture told us earlier. So like Passover, if you remember, represents redemption. We can say that Passover represents the bread of life. And remember, bread plays a very, very pivotal and vital role in the Jewish culture, especially during Passover. And remember, it's also called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And remember what Jesus is known as. Jesus is known as what? The bread of life. He gives life, right? He's the bread. For if you eat of him, you shall live. Amen. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. So Jesus knew that he was fixing to perform this great miracle. Right. It was just another miracle. But it's to show that he really was the Messiah. It's to show that really the prophets pointed to him in the Old Testament and he was showing that it's me. So we see here that he's just testing Philip. It's all it is. It's just a test. And you know, when we go through trials and tribulations in this life, it's just a test. Because Jesus is testing our faith. See, and if we fall short, if we fail, then we, we, we you can't be surprised with this because he's going to give it to us again in another form. But he's going to test our faith again until we pass that test. And if we pass that test, our strength, our faith is strengthened a little. But guess what's up ahead again? Another roadblock, another trial, another tribulation, another problem, right? So what Jesus is doing. See, if you're a follower of Christ, that's why it's not easy to follow Christ. That's why he said it's hard to be my disciple. You must deny yourself. You must pick up the cross and follow me. And that's hard to do because it's one trial after another. It's one situation after another. It's one problem after another. But are you going to hold true to God and his word? Or are you going to believe that he will make all things new? He will make all things better for those who believe in him, amen? Because that's what his word says. And God never goes back on his promises. God never goes back on his word, amen? Verse 7, and Philip answered him. It will take more than half of a year's wages. And in parentheses, it has 200 denarius to buy enough bread for each one even to have a bite, Philip says. Now, if you look, if you remember in Scripture, numbers mean something. They has they have significance, right? So, if you look at the number two hundred, what does the number two hundred stand for, right? Well, let's look at that first number in two hundred two. See, i not. I don't care if we're talking about 200, 2,000. two hundred, two thousand. Let's look at the number two because that's the indicator. That's what tells us what this is about. The number two in Scripture, speaks about divergent opinions. And this is exactly what we're going to see here in this story of the feeding of the 5,000. You see, the disciples, they're going to be thinking from their own point of view. In other words, in a physical way. But Jesus, on the other hand, he's going to be thinking like he normally does, in a kingdom way, in a spiritual way. And what is that, right? Redemption. The outcome is going to be redemption. So we see that Philip says, Lord, Rabbi, says, you know, he's going to take a large sum of money to feed all these people. So what we see in verses 5 through 7 is this right here. Jesus asks Philip where they can buy food, and particularly bread, right, he says in Scripture. And Philip begins right away to look at it from a physical standpoint because what he does, he begins to count the cost. So we see that he's thinking naturally here, right? But you see, Jesus wanted to teach him that finances, especially financial resources, that's not the most important things, right? See, we as humans can limit what God does or wants to do in our lives by assuming what is and what is not possible. How many times we've done that, right? We we have a situation or we lean into a situation or we have a situation that, that encompasses us, so to speak. And, and we think in our mind, because remember, your mind, that's what the devil controls, is your mind, we think it's impossible for that to happen. But God says, with me, anything is possible. But you see, a lot of us miss that because we, we look at it from a human standpoint. We're doing exactly what Philip does here. We're looking at it in the natural instead of looking at it from the supernatural, from a kingdom perspective, right, from a spiritual perspective. So my question to you is this, are there any impossible tasks right now that you think that God wants to do for you, right? See, don't let your mind keep you from thinking that God can use you or can't use you or can heal you or can't heal you or solve a problem for you that that maybe seem impossible in your mind. Man, God can do anything if we truly trust and we truly believe in him, amen? Verse 8. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. So when all this is taking place, right, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he speaks up. And he's telling Jesus and he's telling the rest of the disciples. And what is he telling them? Well, look at verse 9. He says, here's a boy with small, five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? So let's go back up to that first text. And this is is so, so important right here. He said, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. Now, I want to focus in on the word barley loaves, right? See, this is connected to the Passover season. And the expectation of the Passover festival, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So we can say that barley, don't miss this, is a fulfillment. A fulfillment of what? A fulfillment of expectation. The Passover expectation, we can say, is redemption. Amen? Continuing on in the scripture. But how far, he says, will they go among so many? So Andrew's thinking in the physical again. He's saying, man, we have this boy, he got this, you know, five small barnautas and two small fish. But, you know, that's not going to go very far because look at all these people here, right? It, it can't go that far. So so Andrew says, there's a boy, he has fish, he has bread. But I don't know how what good he's going to do because <laughs> he ain't going too far with what he has because he don't have much. So what we see in verses 8 and 9, is that the disciples will turn their attention to this young boy with the five barley loaves and the two fish? Right. This is all that the little boy had. He had this. This is he gave him everything he had. This little boy. Now the disciples certainly they had more than this young boy. I mean, think about it. They were Jesus, right? But because in their mind, in their thinking, because they thinking in the natural. They think we don't have enough for everyone. So because we, I don't have enough for everybody, I'm not going to give anything. That's what they're saying. That's the message that Jesus is trying to tell us here. But you see this young boy, it didn't matter to him. Because this young boy, all he had, he might have left home before and his mama packed his lunch or whatever happened, right? But I can see this little boy in the field, sitting. And they're going around asking people what they have. And this little boy says, I got two two fish and five barley loaves. You You can have it. That's all I have, but you can have it. See, this young boy, he had very little. But he gave everything that he had to Jesus. And because he did that, this made a huge difference. So here's the message for us. See, if we offer God nothing. If we don't offer anything to God, then God has nothing to work with, people. However, if we give everything that we have to God, even if it's a small amount, just like this young boy, then God can work miracles with what you give him. All you have to do is trust. All you have to do is believe. You have to commit to God. You have to give God everything you have, right? Another thing that we see here is that Jesus normally works through people, and he's doing it again here, but he's doing it with a young boy. See, this miracle is known as one of the greatest miracles in all of the Gospels. So Jesus' message to us is this. Age is no barrier for Jesus, the Son of God, right? So we should never feel like we are too young or we are too old because God can use you. And God wants to use you for the betterment of his kingdom. Amen. Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. And the Bible says about 5,000 men were there. Now, the word sit down. In this text, the word sit down means to recline. Now, why is that, you might ask, right? Because you see in Jewish culture, when a person eats, especially the Passover, and remember, it's not Passover, but it's near the Passover. What people do, they recline. They relax and eat. So over and over in this chapter thus far, we hear about Passover. That that something is related to Passover. And remember what we said, that Passover represents redemption. And redemption, not just for Israel, but for the whole entire world. The next part of that scripture says this. There was plenty of grass in that place and they all sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Again, numbers represent something in scripture. 5,000. The number five means lacking, right? But if you look at the scriptures and according to the rabbis, right? The number that should come to our mind in this situation, when we're speaking about Passover, when we're speaking about redemption, right? It's 50. Five zero. Now, why is that? Because 50 has to do with jubilee. And jubilee means it's the outcome of freedom. A freedom to serve God. A freedom to not only serve God, but a faithful God, right? So we see there can be an inherent relationship right here between the word jubilee and the kingdom. So we see that Jesus instructs his disciples. He says, tell the crowd to sit down on the grass. And we see the scripture tells us there was about 5,000 men. Uh, Verse 11. So Jesus then took the loaves, he gave thanks, and he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. So we see here that redemption is taking place. And what does redemption bring about? It brings about a kingdom experience. We can say it brings about a jubilee experience. Amen. See, the scripture reveals to us that nothing was lacking. There was nothing that was insufficient. As much as people wanted, that's what they were given, and they ate, and they received, and they ate. Verse 12. When they all had had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be waste." Now remember, the disciples think in the physical nature. Jesus is thinking kingdom nature spiritually right so when he says when the scripture tells us here gather the pieces that are left over and let nothing be wasted he says this because his desire is that everyone be in the kingdom of god his desire is that no person no one should be lost that no one will be left behind at the rapture verse 13 So they gathered them and they filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Now the number 12 represents the 12 tribes of Israel here. Five barley loaves, five means that which is lacking. Remember, I just told you that a couple of verses earlier. So what this passage is talking about is this. Jesus, he's saying this right here. At this time, Israel is lacking before God. And this is why he has come, right? He comes in order to bring about restoration to first his chosen people, his chosen nation, Israel. Why? Because they're lacking. Remember, number five means that which is lacking. And the outcome is that when he fulfills his purposes, when he fulfills his plans for Israel, what's going to be the outcome? The establishment of the kingdom of God. So what the passage is trying to tell us here is that the kingdom of God, its fullness, in other words, that jubilee experience, right? Where where we have freedom to walk in obedience to God in order to serve God, in order to praise God, right? In order for us to be recipients of his promises and his blessings, right? This is what the kingdom is all about. And that's what Jesus is speaking of. Now remember, the kingdom will not come until Israel gets right with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Remember, in the last days, the seven-year tribulation, the Antichrist makes a treaty with Israel, a seven-year peace agreement. But we know in the middle of that peace agreement, what happens? He breaks it, and he goes into the Holy of Holies, into the temple that's going to be built in Jerusalem as we know it today, and he declares himself God. He says, worship me and only me. And that's when a remnant of the Jewish nation is going to realize they've been deceived. This Antichrist is not really their their Messiah. He's not. And they're going to flee to modern-day Petra, Jordan. And the Bible tells us that if it wouldn't be for our father shortening the days that no man would survive. But God shortens the days during the tribulation, the last three and a half years. And he he protects that remnant, that one-third of the Jewish nation that flees. He protects them from the evil of the world. And we know that towards the end of the three and a half year tribulation, they're going to repent. And they're going to look up to Christ, up to God. And they're going to see Christ coming back with the church. They're going to look at the one that was pierced. The one that they had betrayed. The one that, who they didn't believe in. And they're going to mourn, the Bible tells us. They're going to mourn for Jesus, for Yeshua, for Yahweh. They're going to mourn because they knew they were wrong. But they're going to come to faith in Messiah Yeshua. And when they come to faith in Messiah Yeshua. And Yeshua lands on the Mount of Olives. And that Mount of Olives splits in half. And Jesus speaks a word. What happens? He destroys the enemies. He destroys the evilness of the the nations of the world. And when he destroys them. And he casts them out for that thousand year reign. That millennial reign is established here on earth in Jerusalem. And Jesus Christ serves. And we the church serve under him. Amen. Now here's the message for us, right? Going back to the scripture. The message is in leftovers right here, right? You see, God gives in abundance. He takes whatever we can offer him, our time, our ability, right? Our resources and what he does. And he multiplies the effectiveness beyond our wildest expectations. Amen. See, if you take the first step in making yourself available to Christ, to Jesus, then he's going to show you how greatly that he can use you to advance your work for his kingdom. Because remember, I always say this, every one of us is given a gift and a talent by our Heavenly Father. And he wants you to use that gift and that talent to enlarge his kingdom. See, if you never use that gift and talent to enlarge the kingdom, then you're going to be accounted for that at the judgment. He's going to ask you why you didn't. And what are you going to say, right? There's a gift and a talent that he put on the inside of you that you can use for the betterment of his kingdom. You know, some of us as pastors, some of us as, as, as Bible teachers, some of us that he anointed us with the word, right? But some of us is just to serve. But you're serving The kingdom, you're making a difference for people. Maybe it's just you you meet people and you're nice to people and you help people and they see the radiant glow, that light that glows through you because you're a disciple of Jesus. See, you don't need to be a, a priest or a pastor or a minister, right, or evangelist to serve is what I'm trying to tell you. There's a gift, there's a talent that he put inside of you. Use it for the betterment of his kingdom. Verse 14. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Now, why is this so important right here, right? Because in this section of scripture, we see where he says the word prophet, who comes into this world. Now, this is John speaking, right? Now, we're going to learn that in the gospel of John, that there's people that speak of a prophet. And John says it right here, there's a prophet coming into the world. But others say it's Messiah. So this shows that people really didn't understand, right? Now if you turn to the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 18, verse 15. It speaks about a prophet. And really that prophet is speaking about is Messiah. So it's a famous messianic passage of scripture which speaks about Jesus Christ himself but they call it they call him a prophet in the book of Deuteronomy 18:15 listen to what it says the lord your god will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you from your fellow israelites you must listen to him so he's speaking about Jesus being the messiah look what else the scripture says surely This is the prophet who is to come into the world. Now, this is a change in expectation here. Now, why do I say this? Because normally Israel would think of the prophet in the land of Israel. But right here, John, he changes the perception of the people. You see nowhere, and I mean this, nowhere in the scripture, it says that the prophet is bound to Israel. It says right here that he's coming to Israel. But John extends this to the world to show that Jesus wants all of the world to be redeemed. All of the world to be saved. Amen. Verse 15, last verse 4 today. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to the mountains by himself. So we see right here that Jesus, he knows their intention. He knows what they want to do. He knows that they want to make him king, right? And we can say king here is related to the term Messiah. So all this is pointing to who Jesus really is. And at this time, man, these, these this large crowd of 5,000, right? 5,000 men. They want to make him king. But, but notice what Jesus does here in the scripture. The scripture says that Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Now, why is that? Because it wasn't time yet. See, they wanted a king. They were looking for redemption, but they wanted a king and a kingdom, but they wanted an earthly king, and they wanted an earthly kingdom, right? They wanted that jubilee experience, but here on earth. That's what we can say. But, but this isn't why Jesus came. He didn't come the first time, right, to set up his earthly kingdom. He came to be that sacrificial lamb so we can have a chance to know him, so we can have a relationship with him, so we can have that jubilee experience not only here but in the kingdom of heaven which will be established when the nation of Israel comes to faith in Messiah Yeshua, right? See, he came into this world for all of humanity. Can have a possibility or a chance to be saved. See, and all we have to do is accept them by faith, people. We don't have to work because you can't work your way to heaven, you can't buy your way to heaven, you can't do it's only through the work of what Jesus did on the cross. Amen.
1: And all we have
0: to do is accept that by faith and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? All those who call upon the name of the Lord shall and will be saved, the scripture tells us, right? See, what he's saying here is this, that once you accept me, you can experience that jubilee, that joy, the laughter, the peace, the promises, right, of the kingdom of God. Amen. And that ends our lesson for today. We're going to be back next week. We're going to continue on in the gospel of John chapter 6. Until next week, y'all have a wonderful, a blessed week, a wonderful and happy Easter. Remember what the season's all about. We love you guys. We appreciate you tuning in. Until next week, God bless.